Hey guys, and welcome to episode 52 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your hillbilly host, Gabriel Green, and joining me is my insufferable, stuck-up college kid co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. It's all true. I'm definitely that. <laughs> uh, how's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Um, got a lot of homework and school stuff, so it's it's kept it from being a busy movie week, but it's been all right. What about you? Well, that's okay. I've completely uh, made up for it on that front. <laughs> uh, and so today, you know, to celebrate all things dark and spooky this October, we'll be reviewing Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, before we move on, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. And uh, before we get into the main review, uh, have you seen any cool movies this week that you want to mention, James? Well, I saw Blade Runner 2049, finally, and I really, really liked it a lot. Um, it's not quite my movie of the year like it is with uh, a lot of my friends, but there's still, man, I don't, I don't understand how anyone could give it a negative review just because of the ambition that the movie has and just how beautiful it is like this oh, is yeah. one of the most gorgeous looking movies i've ever seen yeah i spent five minutes praising it on last week's episode it's, it's it's pretty incredible yeah and i think it it does what sequels need to do and what i think is really hard to do given the the time gap between the first one and this one but it really enriches i think the first film there i, I care more about the characters oh, yeah. and relations of the first movie more now. Um, and I think that it kind of continues. I, I, I actually care about them now. So that's more <laughs> than last than it was. Hey, I, I still like Decker. <laughs> I thought he was a cool, uh, really cool kind of noir um, character to follow the first one. But this one really does flesh out and humanizes him in a way uh, that the first one didn't quite. Um, so, yeah, it just and it continued some of the themes that the first one started, uh, and went different directions that you might uh, you might not expect. And it it didn't really feel like it was constrained by the lore. Like it, it did things where like, oh wow, that's kind of crazy that they're doing that. But it, it was all really cool. So uh, overall, it was one of the cool. I saw it in IMAX, so it's one of the coolest movie experiences I've had. Just you know the sound quality and uh, Roger Deakins beautiful cinematography across this enormous screen uh it i i really enjoyed it a lot uh the only other movie i've seen since we last recorded and actually just watched it uh today was donnie darko for the first time uh it was put on netflix and i cannot say anything i don't know if i liked it i don't know if i hated it i don't know what it's about so by next week, I'll probably have a lot more to say about it after I watch breakdowns and this and that. I feel like I was supposed to walk away with something meaningful, and I didn't quite get it. But I also i I knew it was kind of going to kind of be like a movie like that, and I didn't want to watch the whole movie looking for this and that and trying to connect everything. I was just wanted the first time just watch it to experience it and see how it unfolds and then rewatch it. So I'll, pro I'll probably end up rewatching it before next recording and with that <laughs> and some other articles and videos, uh, I'll have a more solid opinion on it. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I, the, Chris Stuckman did do a video on it 
couple months back and he he talked about how it's a very dense film that you got to watch several times to um to actually get anything out of yeah, it it definitely feels that way um uh, the only thing i can't say about it i was surprised with the cast it had i mean obviously everybody knows it has jake gyllenhaal and maggie gyllenhaal but maggie gyllenhaal uh, it also has does she play his sister mm-hmm. yeah she plays the <laughs> sister yeah uh it's just really funny and then drew barrymore is the teacher and uh seth rogan is a bully <laughs> which was really weird to see um but yeah it was interesting i, I wasn't I wasn't aware that some of these... Uh, oh, and Jenna Malone is his love interest. So there's a bunch of faces that I had no idea were going to pop up. Huh. All right. Uh, for me, I have gone completely mad. Um, and I have watched a lo- uh, just a whole bunch of slasher films. I don't know what's, I don't nice. know what's happened to me. And I might need some help very soon. But <laughs> that's what I've been up to. So I started off with... A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Um, it's it's a great concept. I think the the execution of the whole, uh, you know, diving in and out of dreams and how it, how it sets up the rules for Freddy and all that are, is really good. The acting is atrocious, and I think it's I think its pacing is a little rough. It, I think it loses like a lot of momentum around the middle to, or right before the third act, and it has the most infuriating twist ending I've ever seen. It just like, it's just it makes no sense. It, it undoes everything that happened in the ending. And again, it, it makes no sense. It's just, it annoys me so much. I, I can't believe that he's never gone back and changed that ending. Cause it is just so bad. But especially since the film is considered a classic to have that. Like I'm, I'm guessing I've heard, I read up that it was, studio mandated he actually had a different ending in mind so it's it's just not good uh, but otherwise yeah it's a, it's a very very creative and fun and then i immediately went and saw uh uh elm street 2 freddy's revenge and this is a bad movie it's it, <laughs> not okay not only is it a bad movie but it's a bad sequel as in it breaks all of the rules of the previous film without giving any reason for it it just goes off and does its own thing. It makes no sense. It's just bad acting, horribly paced, badly edited. The story is really confusingly structured. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's just it's not good, and it, it, it messes up everything that the, the previous film set up. Uh, then I saw uh, the third one, Dream Warriors, which is a, is a great sequel. Um, it takes like all of the great ideas and concepts and just expands them in a a way that is, you know, respectful to the rules set up in the original in the original one. Um and just goes a bunch of crazy different places with them. I think it's I think the pacing is a bit tighter and I cared a bit more for the characters. I think they they it's not like a great drama, but I think the the what what human drama that is there is a little stronger and more um more cohesive with the film's themes and all that. Uh, really solid little sequel, just really creative, incredibly creative use of the dream setting. And then the idea of sharing dreams is pretty awesome. Uh, it's, it's a pre-inception kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, I I didn't feel like watching all the other sequels. So I just, I jumped straight into uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, um, which is basically Scream before Scream happened. Uh, 
it's, it's it's such it's a very similar concept of you know take turning the genre conventions on their heads and making all the characters aware the the whole actually the whole movie setting is very similar to scream the the uh, scream three uh, plot um, it's it's a very very clever movie the acting is actual movie acting this time around and I think the the, the human again the human drama is so much better than all, the, all three previous films which just felt really stilted and low budget and like none of these people are actors this one actually feels it's the first one I saw that felt like a real totally real movie that was actually made by Hollywood with money um, it's incredibly clever I, again I think Wes Craven has a little bit of problem with the pacing uh, it does lag a bit but just the way it it just plays on all of the horror tropes and does all, all I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I would say breaking the fourth wall, but just playing with the conventions of film and movie making and storytelling in a way that it that, uh, goes directly back into the plot of the film. And it's just incredibly creative. And you can see he took the ideas from that and then made Scream, which I think is still my favorite of, uh, of his films that I've seen. Yeah, I think... I'm really glad you finally watched this series. It's one of my favorite horror series. Um, the first one's probably still my favorite. And I think part of it is, I know, I think we might, we well, actually, I know we disagree on this a little bit, but to me, for whatever reason, Freddy is so creepy to me. Not, maybe not, he's not as threatening as he later becomes, but he's just at his creepiest. Like, running with his arms just, this really weird 80s of practical <laughs> effect of them elongating and cutting his stomach open and kind of laughing about it. There's just something, and a lot of it probably is that that was the very first movie to keep me up at night. I think I was like 12 years old when I saw it. And this was after a string of horror movies that I had seen. And I mean, they always scared me in the moment, but then I'm like, all right, time to go to sleep. And this one, my eyes were peeled for probably about three hours <laughs> after my head hit the pillow. So... Uh, it's got a special place in my memory, and yeah, sorry for Freddy's Dead. That one's just terrible. Freddy's Dead, but or sorry, Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Dead is like I think the last one in the series before New Nightmare. If if you like um, Dream Warriors, that uh, to me that is the best of the sequels apart from New Nightmare. But the rest of the series kind of continues with a lot of the ideas. Like that's. Dream Warriors is where the rest of the series is really born. Um, they continue with all of those ideas and concepts. Uh, and there's there's some enjoyable stuff in all the stupid 80s cheese of the rest of the sequels. But uh, New Nightmare is definitely my second favorite. I, I really like that one. Yeah, and, and it does something that so few horror films do, which is make us actually give us actually good characters to care about and, you know, give us time to get to know them. So many... So few horror films actually give the time to do that. And so it's like you don't really care as people are dying. And I think, I think New Nightmare has the scariest and most impactful kill of the entire series. It's, um, so I, I think it, it definitely improves from, you know, a, a definitely a more experienced director and more intentional uh, character work. Uh, and then I saw John Carpenter's Halloween, which is an excellent movie. Um, <clears throat> not Not just slasher film good but actually a good movie um it's really well crafted so many just beautifully shot scenes that are just so well built and and staged uh it has some of the slasher film flaws you know the bad acting slightly thin characters but just the way it's paced and the whole structure 
I don't want to give away, but just the way the way the entire action is structured around two houses and all happens in one night. It's really brilliantly done, and just so many like Spielbergian shots that are just like so beautifully uh, staged and composed. Um, I definitely want to go check out some more um, John Carpenter films. And I thought it was really fun. There's a uh, really obvious the thing uh reference in this film which is funny because this was done like six years before he actually remade the thing of, uh, on his own um and then finally i saw uh friday the 13th and it's not great but there it, it is it's there's a kind of a a really low-key restrained quality to how it's directed um that uh, it it gives it a slightly creepy edge. It's not. It's really not scary whatsoever. But there's there's a, the way it's directed just make, makes it very watchable. Um, and the cast again, terrible actors, but there's a really fun chemistry. They're just nice. They're just fun to watch together. They feel like friends, and the pacing is solid. Um, so yeah, not not great. I'm not entirely sure why it's been a classic, but just as far as uh, slasher I, I films go, it's, it's not bad and it's enjoyable enough to watch. I, I think it's considered a classic only in that it's like it's the first one but what's what's weird is that series didn't truly become iconic until the third installment like everybody associates jason with the series and he doesn't really kind of become the character we know as like the hockey mask wielding unstoppable man who walks slower than anyone else (laughs) uh until the third one and I remember like it. It's been a long time since I've seen the the original. I remember thinking it was okay, um, but I don't know. There wasn't any anything that really grabbed me about it. Yeah. Oh, actually, actually, also, I um, I went and checked out the Tucker and Dale director Eli Craig. He has a film on Netflix called Little Evil, and it's not good. It's pretty bad. Oh. It's kind of it's kind of a horror comedy, except for it's not horrific at all, and it's not funny at all, and. Uh, and it has Evangeline Lilly and it wastes her. Oh, <sighs> so, yeah, it's a bummer. Um, so is there anything else you want to mention before we move into our uh, main review? Uh, I think I'm ready. All right, let's begin our review for Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil was released in 2010. It's directed by Eli Craig on a budget of $5 million, and it only grossed about uh, $4.7 million. It stars Tyler Labine, Alan Tudyk, Katrina Bowden, Jesse Moss, Phil, uh, and Philip Granger. And a little cool uh, fun fact was that the, uh, the reporter and the cameraman in the opening prologue are actually the director and his wife. <laughs> uh, it was written by Eli Craig and Morgan Jurgensen, and it was shot by David Geddes, and the score was composed by Mike Shields and Andrew Kaiser. Um, I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis, James. Affable hillbillies Tucker and Dale are on vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they are mistaken for murderers by a group of preppy college students. All right, so uh, this was my pick. And as I've made pretty clear on this show that I I am not at all a horror fan or maybe I'm slowly becoming one else. What's happening to Mm. me? But for for a while, I did love horror comedy. You know, uh, this Scream, Slither. uh, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, uh, the Evil Dead series, all that. And this was a film that I 
I saw when I was going kind of going through that horror comedy phase, and I, I immediately loved it. You know, even like it's so, it's so crazy. Like even if I I haven't seen hadn't seen any of the classic horror films, I still was completely aware of all of their tropes that this film was lampooning. Um, it, it just kind of through cultural osmosis. Um, and I I think the, this film is and I'll get into later. But I think what's great about this film is it's a good film when you're even looking past the parody uh part the parody uh in it it's just a it's just a good well well made film with you know good character arcs and i and it's a, it's a real shame that it hasn't gotten as much attention as so many other like i think far inferior horror films because i think this is this is really an excellent movie yeah, I saw it for the first time probably about three years ago. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking it looked like it was just a really, really funny idea. And so it eventually hit Netflix and that's where I watched it. And I immediately like just started recommending it to friends. And I went over to a friend's house and showed him. And then he called me. He's like, dude, I showed my parents that and they loved it. And then they showed my neighbor. <laughs> and, uh, so I like to think that there's you know that many more people out there who know it because I watched it but uh yeah I, I liked it a lot because like it exactly what you said where it does a great job of like poking fun at the tropes of the genre without like falling victim to them themselves and still being able to stand on its own feet as like a great movie to me it, it reminds me of what Edgar Wright does where he sets a film like it's a zombie movie or it's a buddy cop movie or it's an alien invasion but even aside of the fact that it's kind of making fun of these different kind of genres, it's still a great movie with great characters. And uh, I got a even like maybe not similar feel in terms of direction, but just in terms of what the movie is and how it succeeds. It reminded me a lot of those. Yeah, it's funny. Funny you brought those up. I think that, that, that's probably the reason why I prefer Edgar Wright's other films, you know, World's End, uh, Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim. Because even as good as those films are, I think they are, they are probably some of the best examples of a spoof. It just there are times where it feels like it is just it's hard it, it can't fully escape being a spoof. Um, but yeah, those, those are those are good examples of films that mostly escape that. And another one is that Galaxy Quest, I think, which is a really great uh, kind of jab at Star Trek or Celebration. I'm not sure. I <laughs> pick either one. <laughs> But it also has a really good, solid human drama. I think that is where, like, so many parodies fail, is they all they do is just lampoon another film without ever being becoming a film in their own right. And you know, a good parody needs to be first and foremost a film. Uh, and I think this and other ones we mentioned, you know, they they have. Even if you've never seen a single film or and know nothing about what they're lampooning, I like to think you could watch these and still get enjoyment. Obviously, your enjoyment is greatly uh, increased by having seen the films. There's so many wonderful jokes and jabs, but I don't. They're not necessary for what this film is. This is this is a film completely and total, totally on its own right, first and foremost. And that's I think that, that's what makes this uh, stand out among a, a lot of other awful spoofs. Just, just dive into the characters, which I, I think are amazing. Uh, starting with Dale, played by uh, which is, uh, Tyler Labine. Uh, th this guy is just so adorable. 
Um, we were talking last week about uh, Robin Williams. He's a guy you, you feel like you just want to go up and hug. This guy feels very much the same way. There's something, there's such an innocent, likable sweetness about about him. I love a, um, you know, Tucker's line. You're good looking, more or less, and you got a damn good heart. And that's two things right there. Yeah, I, there's, I should have probably written more of these down. There are so many great quotes from him. Uh, I think my favorite line from, uh, from Tucker, or I mean, from Dale is I should have known if a guy like me talked to a girl like you, somebody would end up dead. Just this uh, self-deprecation that never feels like it's like asking for pity. It's, this is what he thinks about himself and everyone else is great and he, he doesn't deserve things like this. He's such a an instantly likable person. And like I said, you never just kind of roll your eyes at, at, this, or at his self-deprecation. It's just... It's, there's a sadness to it while still being funny, and he's just such an instantly likable character that very, very easy to follow movie centered on him. <laughs> and what I love is that him, Tucker and Dale, they are they're of course uh, total idiots. This is a com- this is a comedy after all, but yet they they don't they're not so idiotic to the point where they're just annoying to watch, and they feel like full nice characters on top of all the the ridiculous uh, stupid things they do uh, <laughs> they, they, they have such a uh well such a fantastic chemistry between uh Tyler Levine and Alan Tudyk um you you completely buy that these are lifelong buddies they have there's such an easygoing relationship they have and their their comedic chemistry is completely on point it's like i know what this is it's a suicide pact. These kids are coming here and killing themselves all over these woods. Oh, that makes that so makes much sense. sense. I don't know what that means. Well, it's good <laughs> that you don't, because if we knew, they'd be after us too. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think that uh, one of my favorite things about the movie, and one of the things that I, I think it does best is the, the two leads, because especially this most recent time, and I think this most recent time is one of my favorite uh, viewings of it. There were a lot of different things that I... I picked up on a lot of lines that made me laugh that didn't before just because they went over my head. Uh, but I remember by the time they're like done seeing the cabin for the first time, I was like, this movie just went above and beyond like in convincing me of this friendship. Like the idea that this has been like something in the making and that they've known each other for forever. And this has been a play like it felt completely believable. Uh, I wasn't watching actors. I was just watching a couple of friends go get excited about a cabin they've rented. Uh, or are now own, so they even like ten minutes in, and you've already set up this like really well done, completely believable dynamic between two incredibly likable and endlessly entertaining characters. Yeah, um, and then obviously Tucker played by Alan Tudyk. <laughs> Alan Tudyk is just one of the great character actors of our time. Uh, if you look at you look at his pro, his uh, IMDb page, he's in everything. He's a lot of voice work as well. Like he's in every Disney film, but there, I have never seen him come remotely close to phony in a performance. Every every um, scene he is in, every every role he is in, he he steals the he steals the show. Um, he was at Marie. He was in a Night's Tale, which we reviewed earlier, and he his comedic timing is absolute perfection i mean if you've seen uh like firefly and serenity you know that and 
I, and, but he also, as well, just infuses so much heart to this performance, as well as making so many lines that aren't, that aren't necessarily inherently funny on their own, just hysterical. <laughs> like, there's this giant grin, like, let me do the talking as <laughs> the cops walking over. And his his reaction to every time Dale says something and digs them like one foot deep from the ditch they're standing in is kind of laughing it off, trying to trying to pass it off as normal. Uh, she she would be able to tell you if I hadn't knocked her out with a shovel a while back by accident. <laughs> just always trying to salvage anything that he says. Oh, but uh, the, the brilliant thing about that scene, I only noticed about my third viewing this this evening. Is that when uh, after the 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 kid dives into the to the wood chipper and the other guy falls into the in the outhouse hole, <laughs> they uh, when uh, Dale's like, "Yeah, we gotta call the cops." Like, "Oh yeah," and what do we tell him? "Oh, hey, officer, we've had a doozy of a day." And then when the sheriff actually shows up, he goes into that exact same monologue <laughs> that he had been mocking earlier on. It's just so many brilliant uh, touches and lines. <laughs> When you see a college chick prance around half naked, you do not call out my name. <laughs> the the line that I laughed at for the first time most recently is as as they're trying to sit down and explain each other's sides, uh, trying to normalize it. He's like, "Oh yeah, fine. I'll just provide the finger sandwiches." <laughs> and it completely dawned on me that he had literally just had his fingers cut off only like a scene before. Uh, it, you had said a lot of what. Uh, I had had written about his character or uh, Alan Tudyk as an actor, which is that he can take a, a script that's, you know, it's fine. There's nothing bad about it, but he can just elevate it uh, and make lines that are like kind of funny on paper, just be laugh out loud funny on the screen. And to me, you hit the nail on the head with the first thing you said, where he does the difference between him and like a lesser actors who couldn't pull the roles off as well is the difference between having heart and like not phoning it in. He's never, it never feels like he's just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver this line to try to get as many laughs as possible. I'm going to overact. He just, he kind of becomes these characters and he infuses so much legitimate heart. You look into his eyes and it's like, he's thinking this, this is this character. And he just, whenever he says the lines as these characters, you just completely buy it. And they never feel phoned in. It never feels like it's literally just the movie trying to grab a laugh from you, even though it does. Uh, it's just, he plays them so well. Yeah, he just feels so bad for him because you know, all he wanted to have was this relaxing week fixing up his vacation home. Is that too much to ask? And I love just how he is completely done with it about like halfway through this film. He's just, he's just like, is like, why is this happening to me? And it's not how impatient he gets with everything. Um, yeah, he, he's great. I think one of the funniest things about his performance is like he's he seems to to be the one most annoyed with the situation. But the fact that you can describe it as annoyed is kind of what makes it so funny. Like <laughs> he's just getting increasingly impatient and annoyed and bothered by like these kids are killing themselves all over the place. And he's like, oh, just, you know, all I wanted was to come here and go fishing. Like he's just. Like, of course, this had to happen. Um, as opposed like, you know, just completely freaking out, losing your mind. It's just like, man, of course. Of course this is happening when we're going fishing. It's just a really funny way he reacts to the whole situation. None of this would have happened if we hadn't gone fishing. What? That's not even an option. 
I love just his, his simple way of thinking. Like, no, of course we're going fishing. That that's what we're here for. And the scene after the the, the kid throws himself in the wood chipper, and they're both inside, like so clearly traumatized. It's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. It's, I mean, it's obviously a very sick sense of humor, but it's right up my alley. Yeah, it's, it's the most delightfully morbid movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess the, the third main character is uh, Allison, played by... What's her name? Katrina Bowden. Played by, yeah, Katrina Bowden. Um, and th- this is an interesting character because they obviously cast, like, intentionally cast her as, you know, the hot blonde who is always the first one to get killed in the horror films, which, funnily enough, she is the first one to get killed in the horror film that the, that the college kids are in. You know, in their horror film, she's the first to go. Uh, but, and like, she, you know, she isn't you know, the shy, demure final girl that most films have, but as it goes, you know, it's, she's probably the smartest or most intelligent person in the film, and the one who's like, actively working to try to get around the misunderstanding and i i I think she's just a really likable actress um and she has really really fantastic chemistry with uh tyler labine um and even though it's obviously rushed and obviously wouldn't happen around all her friends being murdered the romance is still kind of really kind of sweet and believable i think (laughs) just how well they get along together yeah i remember thinking um and it I say this without being able to pull up any examples, but it, it seemed like the role where this, it could have easily been, you know, oh, I'm not just looks, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. It, it could have felt like someone phoning it in and trying to convince the camera of something they're not. But this, it like, you know, as she gets down, she's like, oh, I grew up on a farm. I'm actually kind of used to this. And you kind of learn a little bit more and more about her as you go on. You're like, I kind of believe that there's a person like this. Um, and so, yeah, I thought... You know, she doesn't get half as many, like, funny lines as the others, uh, as Tucker and Dale. She still fits in nicely with the dynamic, and uh, I think she does have a really, really sweet chemistry with uh, with Dale. And it's it's kind of fun to watch this love kind of blossom amidst this just grotesque tragedy <laughs> happening around them. Yeah, I guess to the script, which is, I think the script is really tight. Just in how it introduces the character, it introduces all the dynamics, and you know, as each one of these deaths happens, it is just such a, such a perfect way where you can see it as totally an accident or totally on purpose to be uh, the perspective you're looking at the scene. And like again, like the romance as well is something that, if not handled just right, would have felt so forced. But it just it just kind of flows right in with the rest of the plot, and you completely buy it. Yeah, and so one of the things that I like are that you had mentioned is how the deaths kind of seem, depending on what angle you're seeing it from, it can look like an accident or intentional. And that's one of the smartest things about this script to me. Uh, earlier, you're like, in the movie <laughs> that the teenagers were in, she was the first death. And this movie, I think if you would have flipped the camera and have followed the teens, it would have been a slasher. And that's what's so funny and like great about this movie is that they, there's never that moment where you're like, okay, now they're, these kids are just, I mean, they're idiots, but kids and slashers are idiots. Uh, these teenagers usually, you know, they trip over nothing <laughs> and they die. 
but it works. It would belong so nicely in that genre if you just move it around. There's they never kind of like okay, well, from their angle, they they clearly would have known that these two guys are just helpful. But we kind of need this scene to happen from their angle. It works well both ways, and I, it would have been funny to see like almost a full length feature film from the opposite angle and it within the context of the kids not being there you completely understand where they're coming from because everything is falling perfectly in line with all the tropes of the genre yeah and and you know they've all seen they're all aware of horror films so they're just you know filling in the blanks in their own heads and what the little bit they see and obviously they're chubby to conclusions which is obviously a large theme of the film but and it's about the deaths. I love that they are so ridiculously elaborate and gory, and yet it never crosses the line into like total unbelievability. It just it just rides that line the whole time, um, and they're, they're they're all uh, hysterically funny um, in a horrible way. <laughs> this the scene where he after he uh, saws into the bee's nest and he's running out the chainsaw, <laughs> and after the kid impales himself, the bee lands on his nose, and you see the slow dawning realization. <laughs> of uh, this is all a misunderstanding right before he dies yeah it's weird so to me i'm not even sure what like what line you have to walk but this movie could have so easily gone in a some either too far or some weird direction with the gore but i never felt like i was rolling my eyes at like the immaturity like oh these people are just doing this to have stupid funny gory deaths even though they were stupid funny gory deaths um the scene, it's so it's so disgusting, but it, it makes me laugh every time as he he pulls out the body from the wood chipper and he just drags the bottom <laughs> half of the corpse over Dale and it comes across his face. It's so disgusting. And in a different movie that didn't really quite know how to be like a funny, smart parody, it's just been like, this is just getting a bit like um, exaggerated and ridiculous. But all of the gore and all of the gruesomeness and over-the-top nature of all the deaths it it works so well within this movie and i think it's because the movie is so smart in all other respects it kind of earns being able to be as grotesque as the movies it's making fun of and i think even more so is that is that tucker and dale's reactions to every one of them is completely like horrified like any person would be and even though and that, that makes it all the funnier because they're they're idiots and their their lines are hysterical, but I think the the characters within the film are all reacting like real people would if they saw a guy die headfirst into a wood chipper. I guess the the final main cast member is uh, Chad, played by Jesse, um, uh, played by Jesse Moss. Um, and this I think is where the film gets to the closest to uh, you know like losing sight of the parody and just becoming uh, uh, like every other slasher flick. But I, I think it does narrowly miss that. Um, I guess, I mean, obviously, the, the entire parody is that the Tucker and Dale being the, the evil hillbillies are now the innocent ones being plagued by this, these, this horrible group of teenagers that are just attacking them for no reason. And to- <laughs> like there's a, there's a, there's an actual torture scene where they chop off Tucker's fingers. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a real horror film, except that the hillbillies are the victims. Um, but like you know, ha- 
once Chad Yo goes full evil and he has like the two face burns on him, and he's like tying her to a sawmill and all that. Um, the, I think the film does get really close to just becoming, you know, a generic slasher flick. But I think what makes it escape that is the entire um, theme of the film has been, you know, about you know prejudice and judging people uh, before you know them, and or and just looking at people who just viewing people who are different from you as automatically less than. I think it's it's introduced in a really uh, great way. The I like. Uh, Dale's line in the beginning is, you know, these people grew up with vacation homes and guys like me fix their toilets. I think there's a there's a uh, very distinct uh, sense of class within the film um, and just, you know, how society in general views people who have, you know, lower education. And as we get the first impression, or once we get past the first impressions of all these college kids, it's even though Tucker and Dale are supposedly the evil um, hillbillies, it's Chad who is actually the creepy one. You know, he comes off. He's he's this jock with a superiority complex, and the, the scene where he you know he comes on to Allison, he's just like he just reeks of this self obsession and entitlement. You know. He's the he's a creep who's trying to use her, whereas Dale is like the the perfect gentleman uh, with a southern accent. You know, he, he like he it's he immediately refuses to watch uh, as you know Allison's getting uh, ready to go swimming. Um, it, you know, it's playing on all of our assumptions, and so I think in this film, the ultimate evil within the film is an unwillingness to empathize. Uh, it's about how about about you know people who will instantly just see someone and because they look different or because they have all these built up prejudices or past hurts and they're just you know instantly judging large groups of people as all the same and chad is the villain because he is the person who cannot empathize who refuses to empathize who refuses to you know get over whatever prejudices he comes into the films with. So that's why he just gets more and more extreme as he's, uh, as he goes crazy from all the insane stuff happening around them. And I, I think it's, it's a very thin line. I think it rides towards the end, but I think it does, does escape, you know, becoming generic just because of, uh, but just, just the, because of the way it, it sticks to his guns in the core theme. Yeah. Um, he's, he's kind of the only character. And like you said, it, the movie uses him well enough to where it does avoid, you know, these pitfalls that other movies would, might, you know, fall into. But he's he's probably the only aspect of the movie I'm not completely in love with. Um, I think that he overall he could have just been a better written character, even from the very beginning. Like from like some of the opening scenes, I'm just thinking like this guy is psychotic. Like this guy is legit crazy. Uh, I, the, the, the yeah. spiral into, uh, this madness at the end isn't incredibly subtle. You see him in some of the first things you're like, yeah, I, I know where this is going. This dude's, this dude is completely messed up and weird and crazy. Um, and I, I think that the whole, the idea that the, the person you're looking at, these rednecks, these hillbillies, they're just looking at you and leering at you in this creepy way and, uh, you know all all of the all the all of the thoughts about them that would come to mind initially. 
are in reality more applicable to to Chad. And I think that if they had, his character would have been more meaningful if they played up his creepiness in a more realistic way. Um, it just felt like his superiority complex felt like borderline like comic book supervillain like you and I are cut from a different cloth we're better than it like it just it felt almost <laughs> exaggerated in a way that the rest of the film wasn't at least in the way the the rest of the film treated its characters like he he felt the most like a stereotype or a cliche whereas the uh the other leads felt more normal and realistic. So I, I think if his creepiness around Allison was more real and felt like legit creepier as opposed to like, like you said, like comic books or just movie villain creepy, um, it would have felt better or at least worked better. And then at, at the the very end, like it, the line is definitely very thin that it's walking where I'm like, this is, this is so close to being the movie you're making fun of right now. Um, I do agree. It, it does kind of miss it, but you know, I, I kind of wish this character was just written a little bit differently. And, and I, the, before I forget, the last thing I wanted to mention about his character was I, I'm still kind of unsure as to how I like his motivation. Uh, this idea that he has... Um, this deep-seated distrust of these hillbillies because of what happened to him. Because it, I think the movie doesn't really need that. It felt like the whole, the, the motivation, it didn't need motivation. The whole motivation was these preconceived notions we as society has about them. So the, the movie kind of, in my opinion, undermines it only a little bit because it's like, okay, He's not just thinking about him in the way that we all think about him. Like, we're all kind of guilty of having these, you know, preconceived judgments. He had, like, he's gone one step further because of his past, where even though he's still wrong, he has that motivation to be distrustful of, of these kind of people. Obviously, still at a fault. But I think it would have been better had that not really happened. And it, it all just stems from, you know, initial first these first impressions and what you are like the connotation that this kind of people group already have yeah i I definitely think a bit a a more subtlety would have made could have made like a great villain rather than just a serviceable one and yeah that that backstory is odd and it leads into i think an even weirder beat which is in the end they find the new spirit hyperclepia like oh wait you're half hillbilly too which I'm not sure what they're trying to get at with that. I mean, I do, is that a joke? In which case, it's a really weird joke to pull because they're referencing, you know, a woman who was kidnapped, tortured, and raped to conceive him. And if it's not a joke, I'm not sure what it means to the character. Well, although, actually going back, maybe, you know, we see in the opening... And after all this happens, after he falls out and he obviously escapes and he's hiding in the cabin and when the reporter goes in there, he kills the reporter and the cameraman. Maybe since he's all about tribalism and us versus them, is he accepting his preconceived notions of what a hillbilly slasher villain is? And, and now that he's realized he's half hillbilly, he has to fulfill his destiny and become the actual you know, evil hillbilly villain. I don't know. Is that what they're going for? If in that case, it's kind of, kind of brilliant. But I don't know. It doesn't. It's not 
clear enough to completely say that as a reading, though. Yeah, so uh, my initial thing was they're... It, at first, I was like, are they sending the the wrong message? They're like, oh, of course it would be this guy because he is half hillbilly. I'm like, wait, I thought the whole point of the movie was <laughs> to try to do away with that. And they're like, look, you're half hillbilly. Uh, you have ties to these maniacs that killed your mother or they killed your father. Uh, and so at first, I was like, that that just feels they're they're very clearly contradicting the whole point of the movie. And I had the same thought that you did as well, though. And just because of how well-written everything else about the movie is, I choose to believe that this was the intention that, you know, he kind of makes that decision right in that moment as he's confronted with the truth about his birth and his mind. He's so committed to these ideas he has that he's like, well, if this is what I am, then this is what I am. Like in his mind, you know, like you said, his biggest flaw is an inability to empathize. You know, a rational person would have been confronted with that and thought, oh, so maybe they can be, you know, if I'm one of them and, you know, obviously I don't consider myself the way I consider them, but now I found out that I, you know, have closer ties to these kinds of people than I thought, then, you know, I can empathize with them now. And instead of doing that, it's like his his heart is increasingly hardened into this idea of, oh, okay, well, you know, my sense of tribalism is really kicking in and I'm going to embrace this. So, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and believe that's what it's saying. and Because it does kind of work that way. Um, but even if that is the intention, I still kind of wish that uh, his the depiction of the creepy side of what we call the normal people felt more real. Because then it would have, I just think the spiral into the... Uh, this other stereotype by the end would have felt more meaningful, I guess, um, if it felt like he went from one perceived extreme to the other. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's like either it's really clunky or it's brilliant. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's definitely one of those. Um, I guess the, the only uh, thing I... I the only character I understand his purpose. The only character I can't place is the sheriff. I'm not sure what his role in the film is. Um, like he he uh, he's we, he starts off the film. His introduction is he's warning them about there's only evil and death and blood up there. And then, like when he comes upon them later on, <laughs> they're dragging the half body. He like he seems at the same time both incredibly skeptical, but also. Uh, incredibly trusting like he goes in the house with them and he turns his back on them even though he seems to doesn't believe their story it's just his character seems so weird and then they instantly they immediately kill him off so uh, he, he doesn't really serve as a plot device but he also doesn't I, I don't understand what his satirical purpose is either um did, did, did he make more sense to you not really. He almost felt like an amalgam of like a bunch of different kinds of characters. Like I could probably, you know, list off several horror movies that start off with, you know, that crazy old man like, oh, don't go up there, you teenagers, because so-and-so died or it's haunted or whatever. Um, and then you like, there, there, are, there are multiple movies. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen like two Friday the 13th movies that have this, you know, you have the the cops who do show up to tr like offer that semblance of hope, 
the beacon of hope for them and then they get killed off and we're instantly plunged back in a desperate situation um but i don't know he just to me he didn't really fulfill either of those roles really well and i i would have preferred if forget the name of the character but the one who accidentally shoots himself in the face uh that was like i I still laugh at the death but that was the only one um the only death that i still kind of wish was changed i would have preferred it if he had just gone into the uh to the cabin and had been the one to have the uh the 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 board with the nail sticking out come and hit him in the face because like the the fumbling around with the gun trying to turn off the safety and then either shooting yourself or shooting someone else, like accidentally getting shot i feel like that's kind of been played to death by multiple movies where the other ones just felt way funny like these these attempted acts of heroism just going as wrong as possible uh, like diving with a spear or diving with a knife and uh, running in with a weed eater. It's like these these attempts at vanquishing the these villains and just having them go horribly wrong. Whereas this, it's like, oh, I'm going to try to turn the safety off. And then, oops, you know, like anybody watching this movie knew instantly where that was going. Like the second he tried to turn off the safety. So I don't know with the sheriff. I, like you said, I don't know what purpose he serves. And I think that I would have preferred the death he got to have happened to the other teenager just because, I don't know, it would have been more meaningful for the friends to see him have having left the cabin with that stuck in his head and like further cemented the fact that these guys are out to get the, these teenagers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's weird. You could kind of exclude his character and not really see a difference in the film. Yeah, or I think because the scene of them with the cop car coming up and them dragging the half body is just beautiful. And with them, they're trying to explain it. And I, I, the idea of, you know, the kids get the cop, the cop comes, they kill the cop and the kids are even more cemented in their fear is a good one. Is a good one. I, I guess I would take away his, his previous scene with a warning and not make it look and not make it look like he knew them. Cause I think just make, try to make him more of a character with history. Just kind of, I don't know, it makes it more confusing as to what he is and what he believes about them or not. Not, um, But I... I <laughs> that death is amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, it looks like he's just going to walk it off. He'll be fine. <laughs> he's walking that one right off. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do agree. I do think it would have worked better if he... If, one, he hadn't been quite as trusting... Because yeah, it, it is weird where he's like, "You must think I'm a moron," and like two sec- like seconds later, he's following a man, be like, "Yeah, I told you guys not to come up here." It's like a total 180. I think it would have been funnier if he was like very much belonged to the same movie that the teenagers were in. Like, he he shows up and sees that, and he's like, "Of course, these teenagers were the victims of these guys," and and he kind of becomes one of them, like just another accidental death. But it is kind of <laughs> weird that. Uh, you know this whole idea of him being pseudo trusting and kind of like crossing over into their side like be like okay I see what y'all are saying about this but even still I'm glad he's in it just because of the, <laughs> the scene we mentioned earlier like we have had a doozy of a day you know hi- I guess it highlights just the absolute absurdity of trying to explain this situation without sounding completely crazy yeah the the 
amount of situational humor is is brilliant and the way that the film just keeps on creating all these different settings and scenes in which it just builds and builds and builds um without ever becoming ridiculous and yeah there, there were a couple of just fun homages uh, i noticed to other like other classic slasher films you know the uh is it texas chainsaw massacre where he's running around dancing with a chainsaw running away from the bees or there's a shot where um dale is he's standing like in shadows surrounded by mist with a machete. It's obviously like a Jason for Friday the 13th or something. And then obviously the, the cabin in the woods trope. I, I just, it just takes all, it does these really cute little homages or takes tropes and uses them in an interesting, fun way. Yeah. I, and it definitely kind of, it does what you had said earlier, which is it gives us just enough like visual, these, these images to where, you completely understand how these colleges are, these college students are like filling in the blanks just because of like just a public awareness of like horror cliches and what this clearly means. You see a guy running, a redneck running around with a chainsaw and without trying to understand the context, you immediately in your mind know what this is. And you know, we, we've got your friend just being so cemented in this idea of like, oh, all of our, all of what we thought beforehand is justified here. Um, the way, like, and we as the audience buy into it because we're like, yeah, you know, if I were seeing this exact same film from their angle, I would, I completely would have bought that these are the two villains of a slasher movie. And so it does kind of smart in in a very intelligent way rely on what we like, what we know about other horror movies. We're like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I completely understand the plight of these teenagers. Yeah, and then um, Chaz's reaction is finally like <laughs> the album Melio survival of the fittest. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Which <laughs> just further cements that this guy was crazy well before the finale. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I just like the whole the whole theme of the film, which I think is beautifully integrated. I mean, even if it didn't have the theme of empathy, I think this would have been a, a really fun film. Uh, just the way it. Take, it turns the whole horror convention on their head. But I think the way it weaves in of just the, the idea of, you know, not jumping to conclusions the way, uh, <laughs> like with the, the first meeting where it's just, he's, uh, he talking where Dale's just nervous and chuckling nervously. And obviously they take it as maniacal laughter. <laughs> but the, I, the way they use the character of Allison to where, you know, She's obviously she's you would assume she's just the, the, the dumb hot girl, but she's you know, she's the smartest one. She's a, a legitimately nice person. Um, and it, I, I like how it explores just the way all of these prejudices that of society what, in, uh, any on any side. I mean, it could be racism, could be just plain tribalism. And you don't often see this with you know, with the more hillbilly type, um, and I, I think that's fun because I mean they are they are you know kind of the laughing stock of most films, and they are the laughing stock in this film. But there's there's just such a wonderful humanization it gives to its characters, and just I think it's a great message um, all throughout that the film did need to have, but I think is pretty brilliantly woven in. Yeah, that was uh, one of the last things that I had written about it was that it kind of, it takes the setup 
and makes a message out of it. Like it could the the idea of um, you know misjudging someone um, could have just been like a re a reason for the movie to happen. Like, wouldn't it be funny if they thought that um that these really like seemingly creepy redneck people were uh you know these slasher villains when in reality they're just funny like it it could have just been that like an excuse to make a funny horror film but it's like the movie said well what if we actually use that to to have at least like a message in the movie um and something that actually like develops our characters something that they learn so instead of just using it for the purpose of yeah it it like this a miscommunication turns you know a seemingly normal encounter into a, a slasher movie to actually say something about it uh, i think that's really smart yeah and and it's not just tacked on it's woven through the entire film you know, every miscommunication every, every every escalation is a result of miscommunication to the point of the main villain his flaw is an inability to to uh, empathize it's 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 definitely not tacked on, and I I really love the line you know, where it's just where Allison says, well they, they must have thought you were trying to harm me, and he, he goes, oh, and why would they have thought that? And you know his performance is so good, you just feel like, you know, you know the, whatever sadness he's had of being of being prejudged all his life, um, by by you know, the this the, by people who. <laughs> who watched too many slasher films? Uh, I think just the, that's really where the heart comes in, in in the performances. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. Like these performances are like they're not winning Oscars or anything, but as as funny as the two leads are, there is you know just the right amount of a uh, of moments like that where there there's a lot of heart in it, and they do have a couple of dramatic moments that I, I like that they're able to pull those off. Uh, the the last thing that I was gonna mention is, what did you think of the the way the movie ends? <laughs> uh, you mean where he uh, tells his weird friend, uh, "If you want some, you just gotta go get it," kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's obviously a joke, but it doesn't entirely land. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's, you know, to me, he kind of had, the the whole theme of the movie was, you know, about empathy and why it's important, but he kind of had his own character arc in learning to to be more sure of himself and be less timid, which is kind of a separate thing from the, the film's actual message, which is weird that, at, you know, at the very end, he says, you know, what I've learned is that if you want something, you got to go after it. I'm um, like, okay, fine. Like that's something that he's he's kind of learned about it. But what, I, I mean, I'm able to pass it off just because I'm like, this is where this is literally just a joke for the sake of being a joke, and I I like to pretend that it has no bearing on the character. But it just doesn't apply to you, Cletus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is really weird. Uh, what made me like Dale is, you know, he was convinced that he would never have a shot with Allison and yet you know as as she's undressing to go skinny dipping he's closing his eyes you know he's he's being as polite as possible making her food like all of this being utterly convinced that you know there there's 
at the end of the day, the only reason for being a gentleman is for the sake of being a gentleman because he doesn't have a shot with her. He's just being polite because he knows it's the right thing to do. Which is where at the very end, when he knocks the girl out and he's dragging her off and she's like, I'm going to do something. He's like, nah. It felt like he's like, I've already got what I want. Like, <laughs> I've been the polite gentleman and I've been rewarded for being the polite gentleman so this girl can get dragged off. It's just, and I don't know, just joking about knocking women unconscious and dragging them off is just an odd <laughs> joke. Um, so... Yeah, especially this week. This, yeah. this week of all times. Yeah, I, was about to say, I definitely thought about that as I saw it. I was like, <laughs> that, it's really weird. Um, obviously referring to the Harvey Weinstein things. It's, it was, I don't know, I think it's the one joke where I'm like, this, this literally just exists as a joke. It's not, it doesn't make sense really for the movie. It doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't even, in some ways doesn't even feel natural to the character. Actually, in a lot of ways to me, it doesn't really feel natural at all to dale so it's it's literally just there because like oh isn't that funny um so yeah kind of disappointed that it ends on that note but i mean it, it doesn't break the movie at all yeah although because that's kind of bring you back to a positive is where you're talking about how uh dale is just a gentleman for the sake of being a gentleman and uh, that's what does make the, the the romance so believable is you see with Allison for us, us, you like the, as an audience, we see her and assume things about her. But then as we learn, you know, she grew up on a farm and after her initial fright is over, it seems she's more comfortable in this setting with these two guys than she was, you know, with the group and with Chad, with people who would ostensibly on the outside would have seen more like her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it also, like yeah. you said, there's, I mean, it's forced so far as like, of course, they have to have this relationship happen in this two hour movie or hour and a half movie. But I do think they did a good enough job of like telling us who she is that by the time we know her as a character, like, yeah, I, I guess I could see her, you know, and, and Dale uh, actually pretty much falling in love with each other with her, you know, what she's majoring and be like, oh, I just I think we could solve more problems with proper communication and just the way that she's you know, kind of offended to a certain extent by the way her friends just assume things about these other people and behave. You you could understand how someone like her would come across Dale and after getting to know him and seeing that, no, this guy's just a good guy because he knows it's good to be a good guy. Uh, you c- kind of believe, you believe it just enough for the movie to work. Um, Although one odd note I had on her character is... Like, obviously, since they're going for the trope of her being the hot girl, they have her, like, scanty clothing. But it did seem weird that after, you know, we had gotten to know her, and she did spend the whole film in the half shirt like that. It just, it just felt like it was un- undercutting its message of, you know, the message is not not to objectify people, not to do that. And then, to, you know, to have her in that kind of outfit for the entire film just felt like they kind of, they they missed the message that they were going for. To me, it still kind of works because I mean, the the whole the whole point would be that you you don't, I guess, judge by appearance, and so I mean, we see her at the very beginning, and we make these preconceived notions. It, to me, the the movie might have actually kind of betrayed what it was saying. It was like, okay, we wrongly judged you based on what you look. Now, now go change because we all know what that means. Like, you know the. 
Tucker and Dale, like after we realized that, you know, our preconceived notions about them were wrong, they don't change out of, you know, these overalls with no undershirt. So, I mean, they remain in the clothing and behave to a certain extent for the rest of the film looking like this, the stereotypes that we kind of have made of them. So to me, it kind of works like the fact that she continues to look like the kind of person we would assume things about. They continue to look like the kind of people we would assume things about it. I, I think there's a certain amount of symmetry to it. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of rambling now. It, it, it's it's kind of difficult to review comedies. It feels like kind of we always uh, wind down to re- it ends up we're just kind of quoting all the awesome lines. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I'm about ready to move into our uh, final thoughts. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, because like you said, <laughs> if we go any longer, it's it's just going to be me pulling up all the lines that made me laugh and rehearsing them. And you should just. If you haven't seen it, then you shouldn't just listen to us saying them. You should go. It's on Netflix. You have no excuse. Yeah, it's definitely better in the context of the movie. And I apologize for my accents. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll start with the final thoughts. Um, this is a, just a great film. Um, it, it works on so many levels. You ha- you obviously have the the parody. And I think it's, it, it is pretty brilliant in the way it, it turns all the different uh, horror tropes and different genres and different uh types of horror films on their head and it, it it there's so many it's constantly firing on so many different levels and i think 95 percent of the time it's always landing which is pretty insane for a comedy i mean most comedies i watch you there's always like a bunch of jokes where you just kind of like that wasn't that funny i really don't remember hardly any jokes in this film that don't like land completely um and just on that level it's a hysterical comedy and you know brilliant setup of the genre and as we talked about before, even though it is a parody, it's first and foremost a good film. And I think the drama works, the themes work, the, all the characters except for Chad completely work, and Chad kind of works. Um, and, it, and it has maybe. a solid... Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, he, he's, he's either, either brilliant or clunky. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... <laughs> the jury's still out on it, Chad. Uh, but yeah, and then even on top of the great, the great humor, the great uh, send-ups of genre and the great uh, characters, I there's a really, I think, a solid and worthwhile theme uh, of empathy that is at the core of this film uh, and that I think just, and that play, most importantly, plays into every element. There's, there are no elements of this film that feel out of, other than a couple that we mentioned, every element of this film feels like it was working together this feels like a script that they spent a lot of time hammering out each like every plot beat every joke every bit of character growth and uh and plot and and a theme was woven into one whole um and you know that that's just what makes a great film you you can just see the work and time that was put into it to make everything work um so yeah and alan tudyk is just amazing the cast is fantastic every i mean this film is hysterically funny i'm i know we butchered all the lines but it uh yeah i i i saw it uh last night and then i watched it again today while i was going through my notes and i was just like laughing hysterically like even though i had just seen it so yeah again if you haven't seen it go watch it and if you have seen it go watch it again (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, I agree with everything that you had said. It it almost feels wrong putting it in like the spoof or parody section just because of, you know, the ideas that we have of that genre, um, that they kind of exist and lean on other films to be good. Whereas this, despite hysterically poking fun of the genre, is still its own movie with its own characters, its own message, its own emotional arcs, uh, on top of just being really, really funny. Uh, so... Yeah, I I definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix, so if you have that, there's no excuse to not watch it this October. Um, and yeah, any any movie that has Alan Tudyk is in some way worth watching. That never never have truer words been spoken. All right, Nas. So that was our review for Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah, we, we hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, again, I'd like to ask you to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find our other reviews, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. And we are also at Twitter. You can follow us at underrated underscore pod. All right. Um, so next week, we are continuing this horrifying journey through October. And it's your pick, uh, James. And what film will you be torturing me with this time? We are going to be watching a movie that I genuinely love called Saw. And no, this isn't a torture porn film. That that happens later in the series. But the first uh, film of in this franchise gets so unfairly lumped in with the rest of them. This is a very, very well-made uh, horror thriller. I mean, I'm, it's not like David Fincher's on seven levels of fantastic, but it still falls in that same vein. And I think people underappreciate how well done it is. Hmm. I don't know. Like that would be the one horror series that I could honestly say I have no interest in ever seeing and I would probably pay to avoid. Um, I guess if you say the first one isn't what the series becomes, I'll, I'll take your word for it and watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have seen more than I care for of that series. And if it makes you feel better, I detest what that series is. It is like, it is the definition of torture porn. Um, The first one to me is great. Second one's okay. Third one is where the franchise becomes what it's known for. But yes, the first one is very much worth seeing. Okay. Well, I'm trusting you, James. I guess next week we'll see whether you betrayed that. So until next week, when we see if I'm still considered trustworthy from game. We'll see you next time. See ya.